Hello listeners, thank you for joining us for the very first episode of The F in Fintech. We'll be inviting female role models and champions for diversity to discuss what it means to be a woman in fintech, what we can do as an industry to encourage a more diverse workforce and what challenges remain. I feel like I need to start off by saying wow as I am joined by an absolutely stellar lineup. Thankfully, I know today's guests well, or I might be feeling a little intimidated as I'm joined by not one or two, but three CEOs. It's a real honour to be sat in a room at Hotwire HQ with three very inspiring and passionate female leaders, all very active in challenging the status quo and seeking to address the imbalance of diversity in fintech. So without further ado, I shall introduce our guests for the inaugural episode of the F in Fintech. First, we have Marique Flement, CEO of Metal, with over 15 years of experience in consumer and tech. Marique has built and led various businesses across Europe and Asia, and is passionate about exploring the ways in which technology can be used to change people's lives. Marique is also an ardent advocate for diversity and inclusivity in tech. Under her leadership at Circle, the crypto giant was the first to sign the Women in Finance Charter, and unsurprisingly, Marique has been recognised in the Women in Fintech Power List. Hello, Marique. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Next, we have Charlotte Crosswell, CEO of Innovate Finance, the industry body representing and advancing the global fintech community in the UK. Just one way it does this is with its Women in Fintech initiative, most famous for the Women in Fintech Power List, which celebrates the achievements and talent of women across the fintech ecosystem. Thank you for joining us, Charlotte. Thank you. Great to be here. And last but not least, we have Barbara Bates, CEO of Hotwire. Barbara has over 25 years experience partnering with some of the world's biggest technology brands to help bring their stories to life and is recognized as a formidable female force in business. Just a few of her accolades include being named one of the top five women in PR by the PR World Awards, one of San Francisco Bay Times most influential women in business and a winner of CEO Today's Business Women of the Year. Thank you for joining us, Barbara. Happy to be here. So without further delay, let's get to it. I'm going to open with a very broad question to you all. Um, Charlotte, I don't know if you want to take the lead on this. What do you feel is the biggest issue facing diversity in tech and fintech today? So some of the issues around diversity in fintech is you bring together the world of finance, the world of technology, neither of which have been particularly inspiring to young girls and women over the years. I've done 25 years in financial services, in fact, in one square mile from the office from here. And we don't really see a huge change. You know, some of the dialogue's changing, but actually the numbers aren't necessarily you know, following that. So then we come to fintech, where we would think this is, the, this is the sector that's going to bring social purpose, going to sit there and look at financial inclusion, look at well-being, you know, potentially offer products to people who haven't been offered those products again. But you know, we, we then go back to the finance world and we go back to the tech world and we sit there and say, right, who's going to come and lead those businesses? And this is what we've seen with first wave of entrepreneurs. So therefore, we tend to have you know, male CEOs and great to be here with two other female CEOs today. I would say to bank boards, you, know, you have to remember that your customer base is not 70% white middle-aged males. We're looking at more diverse workforce now. As people use technology to access financial products in the future, we will be looking to reach everyone from social mobility, age diversity, ethnic minorities. So I think it's great to be here to discuss women in fintech, but we just must remember the more inclusive part of diversity and inclusion as well. 
Yeah, and jumping on that completely agree. I think the problem of fintech is that it's tech plus finance, right? And neither of those has been traditionally really good at having diversity in it. And broadening also, there is an issue around more, just generally speaking, inclusive workforce, right? Whatever people's background might be, political views are, orientation are. Um, I think there is still a lot that needs to be done in fintech um, to actually, to your point, Charlotte, to just echo also the products and the user base for whom we're building. I mean, we're not building for 70% uh, male, white male, as you've, as you've just said. So I think this inclusion and the fact that tech, tech plus fintech, have ne tech plus finance has never been really good are probably the underlying most yeah, biggest issues. I think one thing that we're seeing in, 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 especially on the tech side, is companies now demanding that their suppliers demonstrate a diverse workforce. Uh, they want to be working with businesses that reflect their workforce and their customer base. And so there's a little bit better conversation around that. There are even, for example, RFPs that are uh, yeah. demanding that there is a certain level of diversity. And I think at this stage, that sort of directive is required for us to see true, true change. We also have to look for our next pipeline of talent as well. So if we sit there and say this is coming from the banking world, that's who, how we've seen a lot of the fintech CEOs start. As we look to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs and innovators, this is where our significant opportunity is. So you know, we do a lot of work at Innovate Finance in schools, we've launched fintech for schools, you're going into universities, showing them some of these companies they can join, whether that's a bank innovation team, whether it's a fintech company, but actually showing people that there is this purpose of this new sector coming in and making sure we're, we're following that pipeline, because otherwise history will just repeat itself. So I think we shouldn't forget that the biggest, the biggest problem is looking at the relatable role models. Yes. Some of our solutions is sitting there saying, OK, let's go and inspire the next generation. Yeah, on that one of my favorite sentence on role model is really, and I'm stealing that, it's you can't be what you can't see. But it's so true, actually, right? If there is no way for you to foresee where you could play a role and what you can do, I think it's extremely important. And coming back on the point, actually, on, on suppliers, I think we all have a very big role to play. Uh, another example, which I like, which happened to me, I was looking for hiring a general manager in Germany and was working with a headhunter. Um, and the list of potential candidates come back um, out of 50 people, there was one woman. And I looked at that and I was like, hang on, something is really wrong. So I went back to the headhunter and I said, we can't, we can't work like that. We have to have a balanced, a balanced list of candidates to look at. And yes, it's hard because most of those women are actually not yet in a general manager role, but you have to look at the second layer and say, actually, can they be in that, right? So I think it's this awareness that there is a problem, but then looking at the levels of saying, how do we solutionize for that? How do we have conversations with our suppliers to actually say like, we are all in this together. And yes, this is a mandate. And it's really important for us to solve. I think one of the issues related to that is unconscious bias. I do think companies are trying to um, do a better job of thinking about uh, diverse pools of candidates, but there is absolutely an unconscious bias that takes place that I think affects actually who gets to the table and who, who gets those opportunities. Completely. On that again, one thing, we don't even realize it, but when you write a job description, um, putting words such as um, champion and lead and all of that can be actually turning off for, for male candidates. So the bias starts really early on in the journey on how you write the job descriptions. Uh, there are free tools out there that you can just you copy paste your job description in there and it spits out at you the words that are biased towards men and that you should change. 
the interview loop is then the next step where you have a lot of biases. People tend to, I mean, we're all very egocentric, right? So you love yourself. And so you look for you in candidates and you're like, oh, this person is great. They're just like me. The problem is that if you have that, then you end up with a lot of mini me and it's actually not an inclusive workforce and it's not actually the most balanced that you can create. So bias, I agree, is completely the underlying issue of everything. And the hardest I found is how do you make people aware that there are biases? The only thing you can ever change, we all have biases, but just realizing that this is there, it's not a level playing field is actually the key element probably. It's great that we've come on to this point because I feel that when we host events here looking at diversity in tech and fintech, the first question that always comes up is how do I attract a more diverse workforce? So this is something I really wanted us to come up to. So with that in mind, if you were all to give one tip, on how to make your workforce more diverse, what would that top tip be? I'll start because uh, we actually do this uh, at Hotwire, which is um, conduct unconscious bias training. Um, I think you, Malik, you made the point of uh, being aware mm. is the number one issue. If you're you're not even aware that there is this unconscious bias going on, then um, it, it's sort of hard to course correct or, or rotate that. So I think the number one thing that we do is um, basically train the the folks who are doing the interviewing. I think my top tip would be, especially for a scale up or a company is growing a lot, um, if you don't fix your recruiting, which is the first thing that you're going to do, uh, then you're going to have a problem. So building on, on the bias and training and all of that, the, the next step for me and, and the tip would be job description are they biased or not? Pipeline of candidates, do you actually have an equilibrated pipeline of candidates? If you don't, proactively go out there and find that interview loop. Is it balanced? If you don't have women yet, find some. They can be from another company, but actually there is, you know, find people who can be advisors and you can actually get to uh, have a different angle on that. So think through those first stages that will help you actually attract the first candidates for diversity. I think the biggest challenge for recruiting your workforce is it depends where you've started from. If you've started with three male founders, it's incredibly hard then to go into gender diversity. And we've seen this time and time again. And we have male CEOs come to us saying, how do I attract my first woman into the, into the role or my second woman when they look at that, you know, that uh, their percentages? So I think that's, that's the one challenge. So I always advise people to just put it out there, put it out front and say, look, we have a challenge. You can't hide it. Um, you know, I was talking to someone recently and they were saying, we can't work out how we, we're not attracting more women to apply for the role. And I had a look at their flyer and every picture was male apart from uh, a woman who was bringing the coffee um, and a woman at cocktail party. <laughs> yeah, and they couldn't work out why they weren't attracting women, even though the actual, you know, the job spec was quite neutral and I was quite impressed by it. So I think that's also, you've got to look at your yes. subliminal messages you're putting out there. And if you've got an issue, just put it out there and say that we've got an issue, but actually this is what we're doing about it. Don't just hire one woman, it's the same on boards, hire two or three. Um, so I think that's, that's important. Thank you. It's also important that you look at not necessarily who the best person is for the job, and that sounds slightly mad, but also, who's the best person for your team? You know, I have turned away you know, some amazing heads of sales people in the past, um, not in this role, but when I was in corporate world, because I just didn't feel they had the team fit. And they, did, they had a very similar background. So it's not just, again, about gender, but it's also looking at your whole workforce and saying, well, is that a good team fit? Have they come from a different background? Let me look at that. And if that means turning away who you think on their own is the best candidate because it's a better team fit. I think that's really important. And, and obviously, you know, the whole team approach means that you're, um, you don't want teams of all the same type of 
people mm-hmm. don't usually aren't very good teams. Yeah. So that in itself, taking the team approach means that you're bringing in different yeah. skill sets and different personalities and different backgrounds. Um, so I think that's a really smart approach. The other thing I was going to say um, about, well, I think on team fit, so culture fit super super important actually, uh, because it's to have challenging ideas and innovating. I've been in meetings where you know you sit and at the beginning you're impressed because you're the only woman at the table and people speak and you're like you don't understand a word of what they're saying. And I've had to force myself to say, I don't understand. What does that mean? And actually when doing that, you realize that not everybody necessarily understands. But the problem is that if you are in an environment where people are just of the similar breed, no one challenges each other. Whereas if you have people who come from, actually English might not be a first language. I think that's a plus because it forces you to explain. And maybe I'm just preaching my own core here, but there are still moments where I'm like, what does it mean in English? And I think that actually helps make sure that, you know, communication is transparent. It's easy. It's understandable by, by everybody. So that team fit element of making sure you have different views to challenge yourself, to innovate, right? At the end of the day, FinTech is about innovation. And if you just have people who are similar, you can't, you can't innovate as much. Charlotte, you were talking about biases in ads and so forth. One of the examples that we see quite often in the tech world is when they're uh, advertising for a technical position. And oftentimes they will talk about the free lunches and free dinners Mm -hmm. and things like that, which sounds great if you're a single white dude who doesn't have a life outside (laughs) of work. But if you're a working mother or even a working father, the yeah. last thing you want to do is to be eating dinner yeah. at work. And so that is something, you know, I think there's an unintended consequence on those types of benefits. Yeah, I completely agree on that. So, and that's something that uh, in my previous company, I also tackled firsthand because I was like, who wants to actually go out and just drink beer? Maybe people want actually to have a breakfast and why not? Because sure. guess what? Some people are more early risers and they'll be in the office, no problem, 7 or 8 a.m. and have a nice coffee chat or a lunch, right? So I think you're absolutely right. The type of events that you, here's another example. I remember um, off-site for a company, we went paintball. And I mean, I'm not... I'm not sure. I'm, I'm quite you know, dynamic and all that, but like shooting my colleagues, I'm not, <laughs> not sure that's my cup of tea. Again, guess who had organized the event? But that type of small things. Actually I would actually you. like to shoot some of my <laughs> colleagues. So that sounds <laughs> pretty good to me. <laughs> I'm feeling a little nervous now yeah, sat on the other no, side of this yeah. microphone. I'd like to jump us to the point of, because the conversation we're having here today isn't a new conversation. And the, topic of the lack of diversity in technology and fintech it's been talked about extensively over the past few years but what do you all feel is missing from the conversation what are people not bringing up and how do we keep people engaged and tuned in to make sure we actually make a difference i think i might be a little bit controversial on this topic uh, but one thing that's missing from the conversation from my perspective is the role that men can play in improving opportunities for women. And what I mean by this is that fathers should be demanding the same flexibility um, that working parents often need. If the conversation is only about how the workplace can make it easier for women to rise in their careers while raising children, then all the responsibility for that will fall to them. By making sure that fathers also have workplace flexibility, then it will make it easier for women to stay ambitious throughout their career, even during child rearing ages. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we need to think the big picture here is that um, ways of working and, and is just completely changing, right? So flexibility has to be embedded for every individual so that fathers can actually also play a role and, you know, take part of picking up their kids. I actually love it. And Metal, you know, um, which is at the moment very largely uh, male dominated, but a lot of guys are telling me, I need to go home because I want to pick up my children. I'm like, yes, we need more of that, right? Super important. Um, building on that, to me, what's a bit missing in the conversation is that we've been very, very focused uh, on gender diversity, which is okay because we have to start somewhere to say there is a problem. But I think more broadly speaking than that, we have to start thinking about inclusion, right? So for example, um, at Metal and more broadly at NatWest Venture, we've started an apprentices program. Uh, and I think that's actually so important, right? Bringing on young people who might not have had a chance yet uh, because life hasn't been as fair to them as it has been to others to take part of what could fintech or tech be is super important. Um, different political views, different sexual orientation, all of that has to also become part of the conversation. I think starting men and women is good. We've been there now for a while. Uh, things are changing way slower than we'd like it, but I think we now have to bring it to the next level, which is just inclusion in general and bringing yourself to work, to just be who you are, to bring your best in the conversation and to move things forward. We should definitely talk about investment here. You know, so some of the numbers between female founder investments yeah. is some of the most shocking, actually, out of all diversity statistics in That's uh, a in really, fintech. really good yeah. point. You know, so 17% female founders in fintech um, in the UK. You know, 29% across the workforce, only 3% of investment gets to female founders. And we constantly look at why is that. You know, generally, you know, and as I said, we're making general assumptions here, it's because they do not have the connectivity into that investment base that the male counterparts have had. Yeah. So a lot of the men have come from banking, potentially investment teams who have that, that Rolodex already, so slightly old-fashioned using Rolodex, um, and they have it ready to go. So I truly believe that if we allow women to actually get together with investors. I think having female founders together is great to move the conversation forward and to have you know counterparts to talk about it, but getting some of these investors at the table and introducing them to women and showing some of the great you know, um, companies that they're running you know, is definitely the way forward. Now, it's already been proven that female-founded businesses actually perform Good better reason. than male-founded yeah. businesses, mm -hmm. but it's still not in thinking. 48% yeah. you know, of venture capital firms do not have yeah. a woman on their investment yeah. team. Yeah. So if we're going to really make a difference, we have to show that female founders can get investment. Yep. You know, we as the industry body you know, take a huge part of this and sitting there saying, how do we get the women there? Um, so that's what some of the work we're going to be doing next year is just bringing them together. Yep. You know, we don't think it's actually a matter of you know, sitting there saying they have bad business plans or they're not able to present. Um, there is a lot of conscious Biases. bias, not yes, even yes, unconscious yes, bias, there's yes. conscious bias, a very interesting study done recently on this. But you know, the first piece is it's, let's at least give them the database that allows them to get there. You know, the conversation has changed this year, particularly. So 2019, it's been a shift from the venture capital firms to sit there saying they're actively looking now for female businesses. Yeah. I think that's generally come from gender pay gap mm -hmm. and yeah. the Women in Finance yeah. Charter. But like, you know, like finance, it's moved from just being a charter that you must sign up to, yeah. to actually saying, well, how do I, is this good for my business? So, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I often say to people, you know, Female networks are fantastic, you know, and I think any CEO network is also fantastic because it's, it's a lonely place being a CEO. But, you know, I think we have to move the conversation forward than just getting together. And I think this is what a lot of the female founders have said to me recently, because it's not generally making the difference. Yeah. So I think we need to go and make that, make that topic and think about, you know, what we're actually going to do to make that difference. And I do think a lot of it does come from investors. 
some of the things that are happening in the U.S. are actual requirements for the 50-50 board representation for women. Um, it's gradually gotten there, but um, again, these are these are directives that are putting women in positions of power that can actually drive change. And the more women at board seats means the more women CEOs, the more women CEOs means the more funding. It yeah. is definitely, I think, a trickle trickle down effect. And I think this one we touched on, you know, data, quota, which is actually very important and often discussed, should we, should we not? But I think it's a very good point. Actually. I think at some point you have to enforce it and to actually say like, let's aim for something. Otherwise we could keep having conversation over and over, right? So to your point, you were right. Like you start enforcing board level, then it will bring on more CEOs who will bring on like more balanced team. Because back to the, you can't be what you can't see. Something interesting that I've noticed since I'm at Metal, I have women reaching out saying like, oh, it's led by a woman. I'd want to work there. But I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, that will help. And definitely it can, it can, help, it can help a lot with that. But we just need more of that to start having, having the movement. With that message being passed on, what would you say is the role in comms here, both internally and externally? Well, we often say, and it's very true, it starts from the top, right? Because you can put on a flyer that, you know, you want a diverse workforce, but then if you don't actually show it, then it, it's not, it's to no end. I think it's exactly the same as culture. When you put, and, and I'm saying that because we've just been through metal, what's the, the culture at metal. You can put everything you want on a nice flyer. Those are just words. If there is no action to actually do that, then it means nothing. Um, so in terms of what can we do, definitely talking about it. I think role modeling it is super important and having concrete actions to say, for example, a Apprentices, something we're really proud of at NatWest, is just having those young people coming through and starting to have a journey with us. Those are actions, right? Beyond just words and saying, like, you just do it. So the final question, there's no way I can't ask this with three CEOs sat opposite me. In 2019, um, I mean, this story was in the papers a lot about how the number of female CEOs in the Fortune 500 had grown to 6.6% after a really significant dip in 2018. And I think the difference in the end, in terms of real numbers, from 2017 to 2019 was just one extra female CEO within that Fortune 500. What advice would you give to ambitious women with aspirations to be a CEO themselves one day when the numbers are as dismal as they are today? I'll, I'll start us off. Um, when I ask women this question, the first thing they say is, when I look at the role of a CEO, those rules don't apply to me. Mm -hmm. And so my advice is, if the old rules don't work, change them. More women will see themselves as CEOs if they have role models, and Mariki mentioned this a couple of times, um, if they have role models that look like them, yes. or at least represent who they are as women, mothers, caretakers. Great, and, and building on that, I think the one thing, uh, my advice would be find your network of uh, cheerleaders and supporters, um, because it's hard, but you need people around you who are telling you like, yes, you can do this, right? You need your friends, your your parents, your family, your husband, like your partner to just constantly be with you and tell you that. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, um, on, on my side, for example, it's, it's a lot about confidence. And sometimes you can look like very, you know, self-assured and confident. And actually inside you might not be, right? So having these people who are around you and who will say, yeah, you can definitely do that. You can take that job and you can make a difference. Super important. I lean over and over on, you know, a network of friends, family, my husband to just 
when I'm in doubt saying like, yes, you can do that. So my advice would be find that group of people who will just like cheerlead you and, and help you grow. That is great advice. I love that. I love that. Such a beautiful answer. I think some of the issues when you get to Fortune 500 is how many people we've alienated along the way. Um, you know, I think the elephant in the room is let's talk about motherhood, you know, and being three of us here are working mothers. You, it is incredibly hard to bring up a family and, you know, and work. And so this is why we see the drop off as you get towards the top. It's not for the willingness of not wanting to be there and sometimes not even the bias. It's the fact that women say, this is just so damn hard to sit there. And it's not the children, it's the house admin that kills us all. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. And you can yes. talk to most, most women another another. job. <laughs> it's a whole other job. Yeah. It's another um, company. <laughs> so I think yeah, we, we shouldn't forget that. You know, so I think we, you talked about the support network. I often talk about this. You know, when, you, when you're growing up, and I'm sure you're the same, when you're growing up in, in a city that's not from where you are, yeah. you don't have your family, yeah. your best friends you've known for 30 years to sit there and support you, it's generally just the admin of it. And some, yeah. yes, you can throw money at the problem, um, but some in fintech don't have that money either. So I think we've got to be realistic on this, is how do we solve the whole you know, working yeah. motherhood piece of it? And therefore, how do we show women that they can be the next year? Um, but we have to recognise that head on, because so, so many people say to me, how do you manage it? And I tell them the chaos of every single day yeah. and that just getting to the office on time is a major achievement, you know, let alone you know, starting my <laughs> day job. Like but yeah. That's part of my point, though. I think we need to talk about working fathers as much as we do yeah. working mothers because by always talking about it in terms of working mothers, you put the responsibility yeah. solely on mm. the mother and it should be a shared yeah. responsibility. And and it's not often. It's no. not often, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, and there's so many female CEOs I know who say, "Oh, this just wasn't done at home. It's driven me crazy. I've had to do it myself. I stayed up till one o'clock in the morning to get the admin done." And the husband's just being more relaxed about it and saying, "It can wait till tomorrow." <laughs> so women are quite, you know, a lot of us are quite perfectionists. I think to get to our level, you know, we want it perfect, and we want to go home and have our house admin perfect as well. And our male counterparts just don't care. So it's not that they won't share the responsibility; they just feel it can wait. And maybe that's something we have to learn from them, and they have to learn from us. I think, you know, in terms of you know, ambitions, when you're starting on your career journey, you know, so many female CEOs I meet have come from actually quite tough upbringing and tough backgrounds, or they've come from something that's not traditional going through, you know, in the UK, going to Oxbridge, sitting there getting your MBA. There's not actually that many out there who've done that. You know, it's a lot of people have had to fight against the odds. And maybe this is generational piece. You know, I always say I grew up in a village. Resiliency. Resiliency, yeah, right? Which now gets taught. Yeah. Yeah. Resiliency yeah. gets taught in school yeah. now. You have yeah. resilience weeks and failure yeah. weeks and yeah. it's brilliant. Um, you teach your children to fail. But I think we have to you know, we have to remember that. Um, there's a great statistic out recently about the fact that some of the biggest unicorns actually had, you know, male, some of their male CEOs weren't from university, didn't go, they dropped out. And we see this in, you know, I worked for a US company for a long time. We see this on the West Coast. Yeah. There's no shame in dropping out, starting your mm -hmm. company. So I, my advice to people would be, don't worry if you're at the beginning of that journey. I grew up in a village of 500 people. Four pubs, trained me well, but 500 people. <laughs> Uh, that, you know, come, that training can come in handy. You know, yeah. And it was, it was very good. You can still pour a good point. Um, but you know, we have to remember, it doesn't really matter where you're from. Yeah. You know, I absolutely flunked my degree. You know, and so many people I see you know, do this, but I did have great work experience that came through. Always remember that you're going to be an expert in your own field. And this is what I would say to my team when they're doing their first big speech, their first big interview. You would always know more than the interviewer. No offense. Um, you know, and so you know, you've got to remember that and I think we don't build our women up to have that confidence, confidence to say confidence. I am an expert in this yeah. you go and get your experience and, you know I've done 
I work in China, I've done work in the US. I sit there and I draw a lot of that experience. So when you're going to be your Fortune 500 or here FTSE 100 CEO, you know, let's remember that it's all about experience. Mm. The more you can go into a room and say, well, this was my experience in emerging markets, in developed markets, in tech, in fintech, or just talking to schools and universities, having that rounded experience, your male counterparts generally don't have it. They've gone on a very single career track. And the female CEOs I meet generally have had a really wide range of experience because they've had to have that to prove maybe they earn that spot but draw on that and have the confidence to be yourself i think that's a really lovely inspiring note for us to wrap up uh so i'd like to quickly say just thank you so much barbara marie charlotte for speaking on this really timely and important issue if our listeners would like to get in touch following uh, the show, where is best for them to reach you? Barbara, I'll let you start off. Uh, Twitter handle is at barbq, B-A-R-B-B-Q. <laughs> Love it. Okay, mine is quite boring. Uh, Twitter handle is at Marie Flamand. And I'm at C Crosswell, all one word, or www.innovatefinance.com. Thank you so much. And thank you for our listeners also for tuning in. As always, we'd love to know what you thought of today's conversation and what you'd like to hear more of in future episodes. You can find us by searching the F in FinTech on Spotify, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.